Good morning. It's great to see you in God's house today. We're so thankful that you're here. I know we have a lot of kids here today, so uh, hopefully they'll be a little bit engaged in the message today. I've got a lot of stories. Very um, excited about this message. I think hopefully it'll be impactful and helpful for all of us in our walk with God, understanding on this great day, All Saints Day, that we're all saints, all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you a Christian? You might be saying, now, that's kind of a weird question, Pastor Dave. I mean, after all, I'm in church today. Why in the world would you ask me, why am I a Christian? Some of you might say, well, I'm a Christian because I need a moral compass for my life. I need someone to tell me how to live and what to do and what to say and what not to say. I need a moral compass in my life, and that's why I'm a Christian. As a matter of fact, I had one guy say that I'm a Christian because I want to do the right thing and avoid the wrong thing. I had another guy said, say, I'm a Christian because I can build my business at church, and I can find new clients for my tire business, and that's why I go to church. I've heard other people say, well, I go to church and I'm a Christian because um, there's a lot of my friends there, and every time I see them, I get to see my friends, and I get to hang out with really cool people, and that's why I'm a Christian. Really? Why are you a Christian? And some of you might be going a little bit deeper by saying, well, I need forgiveness in my life. I need things that only God can offer, and God offers me forgiveness, and God offers peace, and God offers those things to me, and I need that now. I'm not trying to be sarcastic today, but there's a lot of stuff that Christianity offers that other religions offer as well. Hinduism, Buddhism, Mohammedanism all say that they offer the peace of God. They all say that they offer kind of a tranquility, an inner peace. And so the things I've identified today as to why you're a Christian, is that really the defining statement of why you believe in Christ, or is there something more? Quite frankly, when I look at my street, 70% of which do not go to church, do not believe in Christ, I mean, you look at those folks outwardly, and they seem to be doing pretty well. Many of them have good lives. They have healthy marriages. They don't know Christ, but they have healthy marriages. They have good kids. My son plays football with a lot of those kids in the neighborhood, and they treat each other oftentimes with respect. I mean, they seemingly have good lives. Everything in their life is going great. They drive nice cars. They live in upwardly middle-class neighborhoods. They support Starbucks. They go to Kohl's. They're Denver Bronco fans. I know. Woo! Yeah. So they look at what we have and what we talk about and the things we do here. And they say, why do I need that when I have all of this? Why do I need a relationship with God and the peace and the love and the forgiveness and all that kind of stuff that it brings when I have so much in my life, I really don't have time to go to church. I really don't have time to do other things for God. I mean, yeah, you can have your God. I really don't believe there's a God anyway. And if there is, well, you know what? Hopefully I've been good enough that somehow he'll allow me into heaven. So I come back to my question. 
Why are you a Christian? To answer that question, I think of a story, many of you have heard it, about a lady who is in ladies' aid who told her pastor this bizarre thing. She said, Pastor, I don't know if you're going to be my pastor when I pass on, but if you're here, I want you to do this. I want you to walk by my casket, and there's my dead body, and in my hand, I want you to put one of these. I want you to put a fork in my hand. He said, well, that's kind of morbid. That's kind of weird. Why do you want me to do that? And she said, well, pastor, as you know, I've been here on the ladies' aid for many years, and we've served many wonderful meals. And when we take away the plate for the main course, we tell people to keep the fork. Because that means that there's a delectable delight, some wonderful dessert that's yet to come. When people pass by my casket and they see me holding onto the fork, I want them to know that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Rick Warren said this. He said, our life compared to eternity is like taking a string all the way from L.A. and stretching it to New York. That's eternity. And one inch of that string is our life down here on earth. Yeah. Wow is right. And so I want you to think about why you're a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus and why you need to keep the fork. And when I say keep the fork, that means to hang on to your faith no matter what. No matter how many times Satan attacks, no matter how many times you're tempted to not believe in Christ anymore, no matter how many times you say, I don't need Christianity because God hasn't come through, to hang on to your faith no matter what. And today is All Saints Sunday, and on All Saints Sunday, we remember those who have kept the fork in the past. Those who have kept the fork in the past. In other words, those who clung to Jesus, cling to Jesus in our past. This is what St. Paul said to a guy by the name of Timothy. He said, I'm reminded, listen to this, I'm reminded, listen to this, I'm reminded of the faith that your mother, your grandmother Lois had, and then your mother Eunice had, and now I'm convinced belongs to you. What was he saying? Timothy, there's someone who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, someone who is a follower of God, someone who built their lives on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that someone was Lois, and that someone was your mother Eunice, and now they're gone, and the legacy of faith has been passed on to you, and I want you to think about and remember and contemplate those who have gone before you trusting in Christ. What I want you guys to do today is to think about, ponder, and contemplate those who have gone before you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who left an indelible impression upon you whose walk with God was so dynamic and so sincere. You think about them in your mind right now, and it's almost like you can reach out and touch them. And they said such amazing things about their walk with God, and your walk with God, you miss them to this day. And this is a day we remember them and we honor God for the legacy of faith that they leave behind. Who was that person? Was it a grandparent? A parent, an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, whoever it was, they're now sainted with the Lord Jesus, 
And as a cloud of witnesses before us, they're saying to each and every one of us, keep trusting in Jesus. Hang on to the fork. I remember my dad at confirmation in 1971, at my confirmation, I knelt before the Lord's altar at Gethsemane Lutheran Church. He laid his hands on me and he said these words, your confirmation verse, Revelation 2.10, be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. 29 years passed. And at his funeral, at his funeral, I was able to go to his casket and place my hands on his casket and repeat those words, be thou faithful, Dad, unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. And I said, Dad, today you receive the victor's prize. So on this day, we honor those who've gone before us. Pastor Tim and I have talked many times about his dad and the legacy of faith his dad left behind. Who is it in your life that now is sainted, now is with the Lord Jesus, and you say, thank you, God, that they kept, you say it, the fork. But secondly, remember on this day those who keep the fork. Those who, despite Satan's rumblings and temptings and dealings with us, have fought against Satan tooth and nail, have not given up on their faith, have remained resilient and strong, fixing their eyes on Jesus, who are running the race to eternal life with perseverance, who will not give up, not give up, not give in, who will keep their eyes fixed on Christ and say, I will believe in Jesus no matter what comes my way. I'm going to keep the fork until the Lord calls me home. Who are those people around you? I could mention eight or 10 or 15 or 20 people in this congregation who every time I rub shoulders with them, they inspire me because they're so on fire for the Lord Jesus and their love and their excitement and their sincerity and their integrity has a tremendous impact on my walk with God. I want to hang out with those people all the time because they're keeping the fork. Who is it in your life when you're discouraged, you can pick up the phone and say, will you pray with me? Who is it in your life when you feel like giving up on the faith because things aren't going your way? They say, don't worry about it. Just cling to Jesus no matter what. He's your ticket home. He's your ticket out of here. Who is it in your life that's keeping the fork? I talked to a young lady in our congregation who just exudes the love of Christ in her life just a powerful witness for Jesus. And every time I see her, she has this joyful expression on her face and this effervescent smile and this radiancy and a servant's heart and a dynamic walk with God. And I told her the other day, I said, I see Jesus in you. And do you know what she said? Oh, no. It's not me. It's my mom. My mom prays for me. My mom encourages me in my walk with God. My mom is always holding me accountable regarding my faith. My mom lives her faith. My mom has built her life on the Lord Jesus Christ. My mom is a dynamic witness for Jesus. It's my mom. And what she was saying in essence was she's the one who's keeping the fork and encouraging me to do the same. Today, I want you to remember those people around you who have such a dynamic walk with God, every time you're around them, they, they inspire you.
to keep running the race to eternal life. And by the way, we don't believe, and I've said this many times, and I know I'm going to get letters because this is going to go on the radio, we don't believe in once saved, always saved. We believe that running the race to eternal life is a marathon and not a sprint. I do believe that Satan will try to do everything he can to undermine your faith. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is think about the 20 or 30 confirmation kids that we have stand here, kneel here, week in, year in, year out, and then 5, 10, 15 years later, they aren't walking with God anymore, they haven't kept the faith, they're not hanging onto the fork, they've walked away. And some people would say, well, they never believed. I wouldn't say that about any one of them on confirmation day. So it's important that we hang out with people who are on fire for the Lord Jesus, who are keeping the fork. And then finally, if you've kept the fork, if you've thought of people in your life who have kept the fork and there's others around you who are keeping the fork, what does the fork bring? I encourage you to look at the text today. It's so powerful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, because this is our hope. This is our glory. This is why we keep the fork. Because something awaits us far more grand and glorious and wonderful and amazing than any human words can even begin to describe. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18 talks all about it. This is why we keep the fork, what I'm about to read to you now and talk about. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. In other words, this is a Thessalonian congregation. They've struggled with the thoughts of death. What happens to people when they die? And some people in that congregation thought, well, I think you've lost all hope when that happens. And what does St. Paul say here in this text? It's amazing. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have died, those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have, what's it say? Have you ever been to a funeral of an atheist? And one by one, people get up and they talk about that atheist, they talk about his life, they talk about what he's done, they talk about his accomplishments, they talk about his personality, but there's no talk about the future. And when I've gone to services like that and I've left, I felt like there was no, you say it, hope. Christianity offers hope. And St. Paul was saying, if people don't know Christ, there's no hope. People that don't know Christ have a hopeless end. People that do know Christ have endless, you say it, hope. And St. Paul is saying here, I don't want you Thessalonians to have a life that has no hope. Here's why. Because you've kept the fork. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, this is the fundamentals of our faith, you guys. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. Let me say that. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for what? The forgiveness of our sins so that we're saints in the eyes of God and the promise, what, of eternal life? How many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Reminds me of a story. You can put your hands down. Um, I asked this years ago of a children's message. I said, how many of you go to heaven, want to go to heaven? And everybody raises their hand except little Johnny. And I said, little Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven? And he says, I sure do, pastor, but not with these guys. <laughs> 
Hey, there's one way to heaven, and that way is Jesus. Would you lift up your fingers and say, Jesus Christ is the only way. Say it with me now. Jesus Christ, do it now. Every hand up. Every hand. I'm, I'm going to wait till every hand is up. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Say it. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that gives me eternal life. There is no other way. You can put them down. There is no other way. And St. Paul was saying, Thessalonians, do you want hope? Do you want eternal life? Jesus Christ died and he rose again for you. And this is a tenant of our faith. How cool is that? Let's go on. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ is going to come back, and when he comes back, something is going to happen to people who have died. Right? People who have died trusting in Jesus, St. Paul is saying, something's going to happen, and it's going to be cool. Well, he goes on to describe that in verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. In other words, St. Paul is saying, this isn't my word, this isn't my opinion, this is the word of God. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not, not precede those who have fallen asleep. What's he talking about there? This is what he's talking about. That when Christ comes back, every person that's alive is going to see it. But we're not, if Jesus comes back this afternoon, and by the way, he surely could, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if Christ comes back this afternoon, and heaven forbid, we don't die before then, guess what? We're going to see Christ come. And when he comes, we're going to see amazing stuff. But we're not going to be the first ones to meet him in the air. Well, who is, you might say? If we're not... Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Verse 16, look at this, for the Lord himself, look at this, the Lord himself, look at this, the Lord himself. Not a representative, not an ambassador, not an emissary, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. I want you to stop right there for a minute. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Right now, we're in the election time. By the way, I have something to say about that. How many of you, no show of hands, are freaking out about the election? It's ridiculous. I'm sorry, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it is. Here's why. Who's on the throne? Who's in charge? I've been freaking out about it, too. But I, I saw a video recently that spoke to my heart. And the guy was singing, who was that? Stephen Curtis Chapman. I don't know how many of you have seen that video, but he sang this song as he was strumming the guitar, God is still on the throne. Right? And so we have Hillary and Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, oftentimes campaigning, but what do they do? They send folks, if they can't make it, they send an emissary, a representative, usually their kids, to speak. And when their kids show up at those events, what do you think the people there feel expecting it to be Hillary or Donald. You feel a little bit of a letdown, right? So this says, not an angel, not the Apostle Paul, 
Not Daniel or David or Moses. The Lord himself, Jesus Christ, the big guy, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who was, who is, and is to come, Jesus Christ himself is going to descend and every eye will see him and every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's going to come suddenly and instantaneously and miraculously and everyone will see him. And the first people that are going to be raised from the dead will not be us. If we're still here, we're not going to be raised first. What does it say? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. What does a trumpet epitomize? When a dignitary in the old English days would appear, there would be a trumpet sound saying, a dignitary is here. As a matter of fact, I was a, a vicar, uh, that's an intern, many of you know that, in a place called Fairbury. Doesn't that sound English? The vicar of Fairbury? And I thought, I thought it would have been so cool for them to introduce me as the vicar of that church by having some dude in old English garb with a hat and with a long trumpet going, doo, 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 doo. ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you the vicar of Fairbury. <laughs> the trumpet is going to sound, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you the king of kings. Man, it's going to be awesome, guys. Can you get it? Can you taste it? Can you feel it? This day is going to be incredible when all these saints are rising up. So Jesus comes, and if it happens in our lifetime, we see it. And then what? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know what, I gotta, I gotta be real honest. Halloween is not one of my favorite holidays. Do you know why? Because it glorifies death. Death is not a cool thing. And all these Friday the 13th movies that some of you guys watch, yuck. I mean, you see these people with half emaciated bodies come out of these graves. That's not a picture of the end times. When Jesus Christ comes back, a body is sown natural, it is raised spiritual. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Bodies fully equipped to live in the presence of God. The trumpet sounds, Jesus descends. We look around, dead folks, foosh, 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 who believe in Christ, foosh, 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 over here three blocks, down there two miles, and in the columbarium that you're going to hear about in just a little bit, folks whose bodies have decayed and turned to dust and ashes, suddenly, through the call of God, those bodies will be transformed. And I've heard people say, well, how can God do that? I mean, really? Can God really do something like that? You think, you know, what about those people whose ashes have been thrown in the ocean? You know, that's where they wanted to be. Uh, what about, can he really put that back together? Hey, guys, what did God make the universe out of? Nothing. Can he not raise people from the dead with ashes? Yes! <laughs> I mean, 
I could preach on this stuff all day, guys. I get, I've oftentimes wondered, why doesn't Steven Spielberg make a movie about this text, you know? Can you imagine what it'd be like? I mean, this is as good as it gets. So the dead in Christ will rise first. And let's say Jesus comes back in our lifetime. We're going to see that. The most lively place is going to be here in our columbarium area, which we're proposing. And over here in Arvada Cemetery and down here at Crown Hill Cemetery, the dead in Christ, it says, will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. And then we're going to be with the Lord for just a while, and then he's going to leave. And then Jesus is going to hang out with us for like three or four days, and then he's going to bug out. One of the most powerful portions of this scripture, guys. And so we will, what's it say there? Always. What does the word always mean? Forever. We're always going to be with Jesus. Face to face, eyeball to eyeball, encountering the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We're going to be hanging out with Jesus can you imagine, I said this a few weeks ago, hanging out with Jesus, and you say to someone that you love dearly who's with you, I'm going to go talk to Jesus today. I'm going to go hang out with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords today. I'm going to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Almighty God today. And my visit will last forever. Some of you might think that sounds boring. We have no idea. No mind is conceived, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And then verse 18, go ahead and look at it. Doesn't this seem like almost an afterthought? <laughs> Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this transcendent, wonderful epistle from St. Paul ends with these simple words. When you're down, when you're despondent, when you feel like giving up on life and giving up on people and even giving up on God, think about what I've just said St. Paul is saying and be encouraged. When I'm feeling kind of crummy, all I have to do is think about this verse, which I've committed to memory. The Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are remaining will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and forever, forever, forever we will be with the Lord. I'm encouraged by that. This is what All Saints Sunday means to me. And then, this is why we keep the fork. We keep the fork because we know that this is coming. Why are you a Christian to answer that question? Because we know the best yet to come. And then we can agree with the hymnist who said, for lo, there dawns a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory is passing on his way. Hallelujah, hallelujah. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl streams in the countless host. 
singing glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We did this in the first service. We're going to do it today. I've been in church work for 33 years. I've heard people clap for various things. A few weeks ago, you guys clapped for a sermon I preached. I was so humbled and kind of embarrassed, but in the, in the same respect, it was, wow, they, they got it. It was cool. You know who really deserves a standing ovation? The Denver Broncos. No! Have you ever in a Lutheran church stood and applauded for Almighty God? We're going to do it right now. Let's stand, stand, and let's applaud our God. Woo! To God be the glory. Woo! Woo! Keep going. Keep going. may be seated. Why? And by the way, doesn't it bug you when football players intercept a pass or recover a fumble and they're going, what? There's only one person who deserves to do that. And Jesus will do it when he comes back. And we will say, Hooray for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's do it again, huh? Woo! Let's close with the word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much that you saved us through your son. And God, this is why we're Christians. It doesn't make our life better all the time. It doesn't take away our problems. It doesn't fix our ills. It doesn't make us rich. But one thing we know, that it gives us eternal life. And God, the day you come back, Lord Jesus, and we are raised and we are with you and forever we're going to be with you, nothing, nothing, nothing can compare to that. So God, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to keep the fork knowing that the best is yet to come. In the precious name of you, Lord Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.